You'll turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 19. I hope you can honestly say that you'd rather have Jesus than anything. Think about what that's saying. Anything. You'd rather have Jesus. Um, worldwide fame, none of us are famous, so it's easy to say, yeah, I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. We don't know what it is. I'd rather be uh, have Jesus than all the riches in the world. We don't have that. But would you rather have Jesus than anything? It's a good song. Jeremiah chapter 19. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the passage, I was reading a story about a little boy. <clears throat> his name was Alex. Got his attention. <laughs> and he came into church one day, and he was there was a plaque at the back of the auditorium out in the, in the foyer. And uh, he was probably Alex's age. How old are you, Alex? Seven? Today? Uh, so he's about seven years old. I'm sure he was about that age. And he stood at that plaque, and it had American flags all down the side of it, and it had a whole bunch of names on there. And he was looking at it. It's hard to read. You know how the, the uh, etched stuff is hard to read. When the light hits it, it looks like there's nothing on it. So he's trying to see it, and the pastor came walking up, and he said, Alex, what are you looking at? And he, he said, I'm looking at this plaque with all these names on it. What's it for? And the pastor said, we put that up there to remember all the people that died in the service. And the little boy stood there for a few minutes. And the pastor said, something's wrong. He said, what's wrong, Alex? He said, did they die in the 9 o'clock service or the 1030 <laughs> service? <laughs> uh, there's another one. Little little boy named Philip uh, was spending the, the week at his grandma's house. And he was still going to school. She lived close, but he's spending the night every night at his grandma's house. His parents were out of town. And he had a rough day at school. He knew his dad was gone, knew or thought there weren't going to be any, any repercussions for his behavior in school. So he was having a rough week. And uh, so his grandma took him out for a walk one day after school, and the sun was starting to set. And uh, she said, Philip, isn't it amazing what, what God can do with, with the scenery? It looks like somebody painted a picture, doesn't it? And Philip said, yes. And then the, you know what else is crazy? That I know that God painted that with his left hand, too. And she said, how do you know he painted that with his left hand? He said, last week in Sunday school, we heard that Jesus sits on God's right hand. <laughs> so he had to paint it with the left hand. I'm going to read a few things here quickly. Um, some things you never hear in church. Hey, it's my turn to sit on the front pew. I was so enthralled, I never noticed your sermon went over 25 minutes. Another one, personally, I find witnessing much more enjoyable than golf. Uh, I volunteer to be the permanent teacher for the junior high Sunday school class. How about this one? Forget the denominational minimum salary. Let's pay our pastor so he can live like we do. Uh, here's another one. Since we're all here, let's start the worship service early. Uh, nothing inspires me and strengthens my commitment like our annual stewardship campaign. How about that one? You'll never hear that in church, right? Um, I got two more, and then we'll get into the message. This one is uh, a businessman ordered flowers uh, for his friend's new branch office that was going to be opening. And the businessman got there, uh, his friend got there, and he was shocked to see the flowers. The inscription was, rest in peace. And he was mad, actually. So he went to the, uh, he knew his friend sent him who it was, but he went to the uh, florist to complain. And the florist said, it could be worse. 
Just think, today someone was buried beneath a floral arrangement with the inscription, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> All right, then the last one, and then we'll get into the message. Our church was saddened to learn this week of the death of one of our most valued members. His name was someone else. Someone's passing created a vacancy that'll be difficult to fill. Someone else has been with us for many years, and for every one of those years, someone did far more than a normal person's share of work. Whenever there was a job to do, a class to teach, a meeting to attend, one name was on everybody's list. Let someone else do it. Whenever leadership was mentioned, this wonderful person was looked to for inspiration as well as results. Someone else can work with that group. It was common knowledge that someone else was among the most liberal givers in the church. Whenever there was a financial need, everyone just assumed someone else would make up the difference. Someone else was a wonderful person, sometimes appearing superhuman. Where the truth known, everybody expected too much of someone else. Now someone else is gone, and we wonder what we're going to do. Someone else left a wonderful example to follow, but who's going to follow it? Who is going to do the things someone else used to do? When you're asked to help this year, it says, remember, we can't depend on someone else anymore. Good little, little uh, thing, someone else. We, that's what we expect. We expect the church to run. We expect the offerings to come in. We expect everything to happen by the hands of someone else. Jump in. It's wonderful when you get to uh, be a part of God's work. Uh, if you are a, a part of some of the ministries and things that we have, you know that it's, it's a great opportunity that we have. Um, God commands us to work for him. He does, right? He commands us to work for him, and he commands us to take those things, that, those treasures that we're gaining, and send them on ahead. Uh, and what better place to do that in a church that you love, with people that you love, to, to jump in and be involved. We have lots of things that we're pastor has talked about different ministries that we're getting ready to start or have already started and we need people not someone else we need people to uh, jump into those ministries and fill them and and it's a great opportunity um, you want to talk about uh, gaining really close friends when you work together with somebody in ministry when you work together with somebody on something as important as important as helping change the lives of others um you you become very close friends with that person and and uh it's a great opportunity that we have jeremiah chapter 18 and we're going to read i mean sorry I, I had you turn to uh yeah it's 19 i don't know why it says 18 it is 18 wow i'm more prepared than the start here jeremiah 18 verses 1 through 6 is what we're going to read the word which came to jeremiah from the lord saying arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel." Uh, we're going to talk today about our lives. This is a very, very good picture of what our lives are. We are a piece of clay on the potter's wheel. Jeremiah 18 is a message of, of hope for the, Isra for the Israelites. It's a message of, of grace and mercy on the Israelites from God. And as we go through this, you'll see God was, this is not 
by any means a, a message of condemnation or judgment. This is God's message to Jeremiah saying, look, verse 6, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? What was the potter doing? He wasn't, he wasn't working with something that he was about to throw away. He was working with something that he was trying to make into a beautiful piece of pottery that he could use. And uh, so, so Jeremiah chapter 18, really the, the whole book of Jeremiah, but Jeremiah chapter 18 in particular, uh, is a comforting reminder to us that no matter what we've done in our lives, no matter how many mistakes we've made, uh, no matter how miserably we feel we've failed, God doesn't throw his people away. His people. He doesn't throw them away. Um, if you're not his people, it's kind of a prerequisite for this whole message. You've got to be one of his. You say, I, I believe in God or you know, I grew up hearing that in Sunday school. I think I'm a Christian. I hope I've tried to do as many good works as I can. That's not what the Bible tells us uh, is knowing that you're one of his children. You can know, the Bible says, and that's not what this message is about this morning. But it is a prerequisite for everything that's talked about here in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 6. You've got to be one of his children. And if you are, no matter what you're going through, what you've been through, the mistakes that you've made, he doesn't throw his people away. He takes what's left, he reshapes it, remakes it, and he's trying to make something beautiful with our lives. And there's something very important to remember as we go through trials and temptations and, and uh, hard times, that God is not picking on you. Pastor mentions this all the time. He's the chaplain for the Henrico police, and he says, uh, you know, every time something happens in somebody's life, what's the first thing they say? Why would God do this? And he always, he often tells them, God's not doing this to you. He's allowing it. But there's, we'll take that a step further. We have to remember that in a time of trial, God is not picking on us. He has, he's picking us. He's choosing us to work with. It's not something, it's, it's not uh, something that we should look at. Why is God doing this to me? It should be more of a thanksgiving that, God cares enough about me to take what the mess I've made of my life and try to make something beautiful out of it. All right, so we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this message. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the opportunity I have to get up here and, and preach to your people. God, I thank you for how you've worked in my heart as I prepared it. And God, I pray that you would work in the hearts and the minds and the lives of, of those that are hearing it. God, I thank you for them. Uh, every person that came to church this morning, I pray that you would bless them because of it. But God, I pray that something that is said from your word uh, today or the principles from your word would be life-changing uh, to someone here today. Something that they've just never thought about or, or never realized or just a different perspective on trials that we go through. That you are trying to make something of our lives if we're your children. And God, I pray then, that if there is one here that doesn't know you as their savior, that through this message they would realize that the protection of being in your hand just isn't there. And in order to have that protection, we have to be one of your children, one of yours. And I pray that if there's somebody here that doesn't know that today, that, it's, that we would be able to take care of that today before they leave this building, knowing for sure that they're one of yours, that they're on their way to heaven. God, I pray that you would guide my words as I preach. And uh, God, I pray that... As we open your word, that you'd be honored and glorified through everything that's said. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Uh, so a little bit of background about Jeremiah here. Jeremiah needed to be reminded of this fact as well, uh, that God doesn't throw his people away. Jeremiah was prophesying in a time in Israel when, they, when the, the nation of Israel had been divided. Okay, So Jeremiah here is one of the new prophets after the, the, the nation of Israel has been divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, he was actually a prophet to the southern kingdom, uh, the people of Judah. Uh, and so Jeremiah preached and prophesied uh, through a series of really bad, really wicked kings. And so you can imagine in Jeremiah's mind, he's preaching, he's prophesying. It's kind of the same as, as Brother Josh and I were talking about Hosea uh, last week. If you read the book of Hosea, God put him through a lot. Just as a picture to show him, this is what my people have done to me. And so Hosea was forced to go through all of this to show the people you know, they were, they were shocked how much Hosea was going through and still keeping his wife. If you read through the book, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. But Hosea's message then to the people was, this is exactly how you've treated God. You've been unfaithful. You've, you've been an adulterous nation to God. And he continues to go after you. He continues to love you. Jeremiah is kind of uh, the same way here. He is preaching uh, and prophesying to God's people through a series of really bad kings who couldn't care less what he's got to say or what the message is. Um, so despite Jeremiah pleading for the, with the people of Israel, with, this, with the, well, the, the, the people of Judah, to repent, they continue to move further away from God. And so this passage here is more of a, a reminder to Jeremiah from God that I still love my people, and I'm going to continue to pursue them. Um, Jeremiah was not just discouraged. Somebody mentioned this this morning, not knowing what I was going to preach, some about the weeping prophet. I think it was Brother Bill. It said something about tissues up here, and he said, oh, that's because we're going to have the weeping prophet up there this morning. But Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet for a reason. The people of Israel had broken his heart in, in running from God, and so he weeps for the children of Israel. He weeps for the people of Judah to come back to God. And this is not a weeping in discouragement. He is discouraged, I'm sure. Imagine preaching to people that are falling asleep the whole time you're preaching, or, or they leave and do exactly what you told them not to do. Imagine doing that day after day, year after year. These, these judges were not pastors. They were, they, I mean, prophets were not pastors. They were prophets helping to lead the nation. So they were with the people day after day after day. And he sees them uh, running from God day after day after day. So his sorrow was not a discouragement, but it was a true Christ-like compassion on the people. Remember when Jesus looks over the, the city of Jerusalem and he weeps for them because they're a sheep scattered without a shepherd? That's what Jeremiah is weeping about here. He has more concern for the, for the souls and lives of the people than they do. They're blind, going on, worshiping idols, worshiping other gods, and Jeremiah is weeping over them. And so in eight, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, God takes Jeremiah down to this potter's wheel to kind of give him a, it's a little field trip he takes him on as an uh, object lesson to show him. 
I'm not done with my people. And everything that you're doing, I need you to keep on doing. Verses 1 and 2 say, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. As I was studying this, it's interesting, too, that God doesn't tell him. Uh, Brother Josh, I think it was last Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago, uh, was talking about um, Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. And, and God tells him go, but doesn't tell him where to go to. He says, when you get there, I'll, I'll let you know that's the place you're supposed to be at. It's kind of the same thing here. He tells Jeremiah, go down there, and when you get there, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll have something to tell you. Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So Jeremiah goes down to this potter's house, and God is silent at first. Uh, verses 3. Verse 3, then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. God's not there yet. He's not talking to him. He has Jeremiah observe what's going on. Uh, Verse 4, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then in verse 5, the word of the Lord came to me, saying. Uh, So it's interesting. God, God has him... Just sit there and watch and see what's going on. This is very much an object lesson that he has for Jeremiah. Um, and it's interesting that the, as this potter, this potter takes this piece of clay. And when I was younger, uh, we used to go to a place called Greenfield Village. It's in Dearborn, Michigan. And what it is, really neat place. But uh, Henry Ford took all these uh, famous people, popular people, or inventors, I should say. They're not necessarily... Uh, uh, actors or anything like that. But like, for example, Thomas Edison's lab that he created the light bulb in. The whole thing is there. The actual boards, the actual walls. He would take these buildings down, move them across the country to Dearborn, Michigan, this place called Greenfield Village, and re-erect them exactly the way that they were uh, wherever he took them from. And sometimes he would even take the dirt that they were on. So they would dig out a big hole that this building used to sit on and put it there in Greenfield Village and place it on that. And I remember as a little kid, I was uh, intrigued, and even now I still am, how some of these potters work. They had a potter there, an actual, he would actually make pottery. And he'd grab a big chunk of clay out of, a, out of a bin or a box or whatever he had it sitting in, and he would throw it on this table, this big you know, oak table, this thick, real solid, heavy duty. And it looked like he was working with bread. He would, he would punch this stuff, and then he would twist it all and, and knead it. And then he'd punch it again and twist it and knead it. And then he would add some water and get it a little bit softer. It's nice and pliable. And when it was ready to where he could use it, he would slam it on this potter's wheel. And it would just... And then he would sit down. He'd roll up his sleeves. I, remember, I mean, I can see it in my mind. This guy with a white shirt on, he'd roll, pull his sleeves up and he'd start that wheel moving. And he'd go around and around and get a little bit faster and faster and faster. And he's talking the whole time. He's telling you what he's doing and talking about Greenfield Village and, you know, all the rest of this. And all of a sudden, this shape would just show up as he puts his hands in there and starts to make this this, uh, pot or whatever he was making. And that's what Jeremiah sees here. He sees this potter doing exactly that. The interesting thing about making pottery is it hasn't changed in decades and decades and decades. exactly the same as it used to be. In fact, it's, it's a lot of the same 
you know, the wheels are now mechanized and all that, that that the pottery spins on. But other than that, it's almost identical to what Jeremiah would have seen here. In verse 4, he says, The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. You know what that word marred means? Something was wrong with it. It doesn't, and, and it's interesting also that it doesn't say it was marred by the hand of the potter. Something happened to this clay. I don't know if it got a, it had a lump in it or if it had a dry spot in the clay or what it is. But it says it was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. So this, this, is, this clay is still on the wheel. Jeremiah, pottery takes a long time to make. It's not a five-minute process. You make a bowl and hand it off to somebody and they put cereal in it. I mean, it's, it takes a long time after it's done to cure and it goes into the ovens to dry and all the rest of that. So Jeremiah is seeing this pottery, this clay on the wheel and then all of a sudden it says it's marred in the hand of the potter. While the potter is making it, he notices an imperfection. He knows, he notices something's wrong with this, with this clay. And so what does it say? He made it again, another vessel. He balls that clay back up needs it, twists it, punches it, does whatever he needs to get, gets those imperfections out, and then it says he made him again another vessel. He turns it into another vessel. And that's what I started off by saying. God doesn't, the potter doesn't take this clay, man, this clay is junk, and throw it out. It can be worked with. It just needs a little bit of work. And that's what God does with our lives. Uh, he takes the clay of our lives, notices some imperfections, and puts us through a trial. You imagine uh, what that clay is feeling if it had feelings. He's punching me. He's twisting me in half. Now he's putting all his weight on me and needing, you know. Now he's punching me again. God's putting, or the potter's putting this thing through trials to make it soft and pliable and able to be used. That clay coming straight out of the ground is worthless. We dig in clay all the time. You're digging clay all the time, putting these posts in for fencing. It's terrible. But if a potter can get a hold of it and do his work on it, he can make that stuff usable and make it into something that he can actually make pottery with. And that's what Jeremiah is going through. So, so if you, God is the potter. This is what we have to remember from this lesson. God is the potter. And in, in chapter 18, Israel is the clay. And God works well, so, so God, the potter, takes this lump of clay out of the earth. So you got to go back to Abraham. Remember, he promised Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to make a nation, which is now the nation of Israel. For 400 years, where, is, where do the Israelites spend 400 years? Somebody shout out, tell me. Where? Not 400 years. Egypt. There we go. For 400 years, they spend... They spend 400 years in Egypt. God is working on them. I mean, he takes them through a lot. They're slaves in Egypt. And you can, you can and picture this is the potter taking that clay and working it. For 400 years, he works it and works it. And starts to shape this nation into the Jewish people, what they would become. Then he takes them out. He puts them on the wheel, so to speak the nation of Israel, and leads them out of Egypt. Then he starts to work on them, right? He starts to, to work out imperfections. 
He starts to uh, work in his people to try them to make them the promised nation, give them the promised land. And we have a lot of issues along the way, don't we? He ends up, as verse 4 says, finding the, this piece of clay that he's working on marred. They decide we're not going into the land of, land of Israel. I mean, the uh, promised land. We're not going. And for 40 years, he cleans perfections out of, that, out of that clay, right? He kills off everybody 20 years old and older. Doesn't get, they don't get to go in the promised land. He's cleaning out that clay. All 10 of the spies that went in and were, were negative and said, we can't take the land, he kills them. And now after those 40 years, he's finally got a clean pure piece of clay that he can make a vessel out of. And then he sends them into the promised land. They go in there and God gives them victory after victory. And sure, they had their issues, but he gives them so many victories. Uh, in the promised land, they start to become this vessel of honor that God is trying to make. Uh, and then what happens here with in Jeremiah is he gets this big problem in his piece of pottery, so to speak. The nation of Israel divides. You get the northern and the southern kingdoms. The Israelites, uh, the, the nation of Israel, they start worshiping other gods, Baal. Uh, the Jewish leaders start getting people to follow these uh, religions that are completely man-made, right? The, the Pharisees and all the rest of that. And they get this huge crack, and Jeremiah is promised by God, Cannot I do it with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand. I'm not going to throw you out. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to clean out all the imperfections. So that's kind of the introduction to everything that's going on here. And then quickly we're going to look at some things where we can apply it, uh, this passage, to our lives. We already said God is the potter. His people are the clay. And the wheel that he puts us on is... This earth, our, our circumstances, our lives is the wheel that we don't have a choice. This is where we are. This is where he put us to start working on us. The clay can't climb up off that wheel and go, I want, I want somebody else to work on me. The, the clay is where it gets put, and now God starts to work on it. Uh, so there's, there's a principle that we have to know. There's something that's very, very important, and we already mentioned it. But through this whole picture, this whole object lesson, we have to remember that God is in control. He's in control of the clay. Uh, it's never, uh, you don't ever hear a, a whoops, right? God's in control. He knows what's going on. But he has to do some of these things. Why would God do this? Or even, why would God let this happen? God's in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. And sometimes when we go through these trials, it's exactly that. It's him picking imperfections out. It hurts, right? Uh, or as verse 4 says, he found something wrong with it and he starts over. He starts back over and starts kneading it and, and uh, maybe adding some water and, and twisting it and pounding it to make a new vessel. That's what God is doing with our lives. But you have to remember that God is in control. And the Bible also says he won't tempt us beyond what we're able, right? So if he starts to put a little bit too much pressure and says, oh, I'm going to break this thing. Let me back off a little bit. That, that's God in control of our lives. He's, he knows 
what he's doing. Um, and as God's children, we also have to understand that we can't make ourselves. Sometimes you hear people say, I'm a self-made man. And, and a lot of people are like, oh, he's a man. Not necessarily. Self-made? You ever seen a piece of pottery make itself? It would look pretty funny, right? Self-made does not necessarily mean good. Sometimes self-made uh, is a big problem, and it's definitely a big problem in the lives of a, life of a Christian. We want God to make us. We, we want God to be in control of our lives. If he was to hand control over of my life over to me, I, I would be in trouble. There's a lot I don't know. Uh, there's also a lot of circumstances that he keeps me from that I have no clue about them. And now if God was to give me control of all of that, I'd be in a mess. God the potter is in control. Um, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 says this, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Uh, when we try to be the potter of our own lives, we get ourselves in trouble. Think about the biggest, the biggest problems you've ever had in your life. Maybe some of the biggest. Not, I'm not even talking about you having a loved one die or anything. I'm not talking about a trial like that. I'm talking about the biggest problems you've had in your life, mistakes that have been made. It's when you tried to take over your life. And I know it's true because I've done it. I've had the, the biggest issues I've had in my life is when you, we try to take over our lives for ourselves. Uh, take over ourselves. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 says this, Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? The clay doesn't get an opportunity to say, What? You're making me a water pot? I want to be a bowl. We, get, we are made what God makes us. And God is the perfect potter. He knows exactly what he wants our life to be. And we have to allow him to make us. Um, it's also key to remember this. All right. So when, a potter, when the pottery is done, what happens to it? What, is, what does a potter do with it? He puts it in a, in a kiln, in an oven, to cure it and to, to bake it into stone, basically, so that it, it, it will never uh, come apart. It might crack, but it's not going to just fall apart in the heat. Right? It's not wax. It turns into stone. And it's key to remember, God is in control is what we're talking about here. It's key to remember that no matter how hot the trial gets, God is, God's watching. He's not going to have that oven too hot. The potter's not for this clay or it'll, it'll crack it. It'll get too hot too fast. He gives it a nice, even heat to cure this pot. And, and God is in control. Sometimes when the trials get hot and it gets tough, God's in control. He's not going to let it get too hot. He's trying to make us into that perfect, usable vessel uh, that he can use in his service. So that's the principle. The second thing is the purpose. Why does God do this to us? Is it because, eh, that's life. We just got to deal with it. He's, the purpose for God putting us through these trials, putting us through all of this kneading and pounding and twisting, and then... There's a lot of pressure put on that pot when, the, when he starts making the pot, too, the, the potter. The reason for it is God wants us to make, to make us vessels of honor that can be used for him. Turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 47, if you will. Uh, what is God trying to make out of us? He's trying to transform us by his grace from this worthless piece of clay into a beautiful vessel. 
the and and the vessel he's trying to make he's trying to make the vessel that will bring the most honor and glory to him he's a potter's not going to make something and keep something that is like that was my first piece i wasn't real good yet he's going to get rid of that he's trying to make something that he can use that he can sell that's what a potter does god's trying to make the vessel that's the most honor honoring and glorifying to him uh Luke chapter 7, verse 47. This is an interesting passage. Uh, This is when Christ has his feet anointed uh, uh, with the alabaster box and all that. But verse 47 says this. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. The vessel that brings the most honor and glory to God is the one that's been forgiven. Maybe sometimes it's even forgiven the most. The people that are that love God the most sometimes are the ones that have been forgiven the most. They understand what God brought them out of. They understand what exactly God did with their life, the path that they were on and the path that he put them on. Uh, he who for, who, But to whom little is forgiven, verse 47 says, the same loveth little. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's trying to make. He's trying to make us in the image of his son. And until we get there, he's going to continue working on us. He's going to continue putting us through trials. It's a different perspective on why we go through trials. It is to make us better Christians. It's to make us stronger. We hear that preached all the time. But it's because he's trying to make us into the image of himself. And it takes a lot of work to take this worthless, impure clay and make it into that. And so our jo- his job is never done as we go through this life. He continues to work on it our entire life long. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He's saying, I- I'm working. I'm trying to to get you to where you need to be because Christ has not quite yet been formed in you. Uh, So then what is the process? What's the process that God uses to get us into these vessels of honor? He uses trials. He uses circumstances in our lives to mold us into this usable vessel. Uh, Think about this clay. I mean, this, this clay, so God calls us out of the world to be his children. Um, We're not Calvinists. We believe that everybody has their own will and and they make that choice. God doesn't automatically from the time, from time past said, you know, Brian's going to be one of mine and I'm going to work on him. No, I get a choice to accept him as my savior. But then think about this clay as it's pulled out of the ground. That clay is comfortable, right? That's where it belongs. Or it thinks that's where it belongs. But it, what a good is it? What good is this clay in the ground? And God pulls us out of this world, out of the world, like the potter does to this clay. And it's uncomfortable at first. Um, and then he starts to work on us. He uses our circumstances to, to make us into these vessels of honor. I wrote this down. Um, as, as God works in our hearts what is the, what does that potter do if he just leaves it as a as a hunk of clay if you've ever seen a potter at work they're not just 
you know, their hands aren't just hovering over this clay making it into a nice round blob, right? They have to dig their hands into the, into the meat of that clay and start to scoop it out. And, and that's what God does in our hearts. He's got to reach into our lives and clean our hearts. Uh, if the outside looked perfect, but there was only this much space for, for water or whatever in a, in a clay pot, what good is it, right? It looks great on the outside, but it's worthless. God has to carve out that, the world out of the inside of us, make us usable, make us honorable uh, for his purpose. 2 Corinthians 4 Verses 7 through 11 say this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And here's the circumstances we go through. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. goes back to the purpose. What is the purpose of God doing this in our lives? That the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. All these circumstances, Paul was talking about this. We're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. Why are we not distressed? Because God is in control. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Why? Because he knows God's in control. He knows that God knows what he's doing. He doesn't see the big picture, but God's in control. That the life of also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Might be made manifest, might be shown, might be made known to others through us is what that means. That's his goal in making us and in, and in putting us through these different circumstances. Uh, the problem is sometimes, like this clay is, we're resistant to God's, to God's hand, to his, uh, what he's trying to do in our lives. And we say, well, I'm going through this trial. I'm going to get out of this trial. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I have to to make this stop. But that's not God's plan. God says, man, this clay is just really resistant here in this one area. And he puts more pressure on it instead of throwing it out. Remember what we said at the beginning. He's not going to throw that clay out. He wants to use it. So he puts more pressure on it. And the more we resist, the more pressure he puts to try to make us those vessels of honor. Um, and remember this. When we make huge mistakes in our lives, often, I used to run a bus route in Indiana, and there were people that, thought, that, that would talk to us. I've made, you don't know what I've done in my life. God can't save me. That's not true. God wants to save everyone. And, and you say, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. God wants to save us. He wants every one of us to come into his fold to be his children. And then he starts working on us. Just because we become his children doesn't mean it's going to get easy from then on. Sometimes it gets harder. Because when that lump of clay is sitting in the ground, it's easy, but it's worthless. As unsaved, sometimes... It's easier just to stay doing whatever we're doing, but, but you're not being used for what God created you to be used for. I, read, I wrote this down, and then we will uh, we'll close. Let's not forget that when God is finally done kneading and twisting and shaping and picking out imperfections as a Christian, 
you're finally starting to take shape, right? Let's not forget that it's not over. Just because that piece of clay is done, it's, it's finally made on that, on that wheel. It's not, that's not done. Now he has to put it through the heat. He has to put the glaze on it. He has to, there's still work to do. And until we stand before him in glory, our vessel's not complete. Uh, it's not a, a, a masterpiece until we're done with this earth, until we're done working here, we're done. And we finally stand before God and then he says, well done, look what I, look what I was able to make with that life. That finally yielded to me. The clay can resist, but as long as it resists, it's not going to be what he wants it to be. We can resist God's trials. We can resist what he's putting us through and fight it and blame God sometimes. Why is he letting this happen to me? But it's not that he's letting it happen to you necessarily. He's trying to make you into the image of Jesus Christ, as Paul said in Romans. He's trying to let Jesus be manifest through this mortal flesh. And the only way for him to do that, because we are sinners, the only way for him to do that is to put us through these circumstances, put us through this pressure to make us into an honorable vessel for him. Hey, Brother Josh, uh, I was going to read this song. We'll just go ahead and play it. And this is how we'll close the service. And then Miss Becca will uh, play the piano and we'll have the invitation. But Go ahead and start it, Brother Josh. Listen to these words uh, to this song as uh, David sings it. I know you're going through the fire. It's getting hard to stand the heat. But even harder is the wandering. Is God's hand still on me? It's lonely in the flames when you're counting days of pain. But the potter knows the clay. How much pressure it can take. How many times around the submission to his will he's planned a beautiful design but it'll take some fire and time it's gonna be okay cause the potter knows the clay I just came through that fire Not too very long ago And looking back I can't see why And that my God was in control But on the hottest days I'd cry Oh Lord isn't it about time? But the potter knows. 
The potter knows the clay. He's planned a beautiful design, but it'll take some fire and time. It's gonna be okay. Cause the potter, he knows the clay. Let's go ahead and stand. <clears throat> Their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to preach the message again or anything like that, but God is in control. He's planned this beautiful design for our lives. We've got to let him do what he needs to do in our lives to make us what he wants us to be. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you uh, for everyone that's here this morning. God, I pray that you would have used this message to uh, work in the hearts of some here. God, you worked in my heart, and I thank you for that. Pray that you would uh, help decisions to be made where they need to be. And again, God, I pray if there's one that doesn't know that they're in your hand, they don't know the safety of your wheel, I pray that today they would understand that what it means to be saved and take care of that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As she plays, if God worked in your heart in any way, you come on forward. Maybe it's something where you just have not understood why God is putting you through whatever it is that, that you're going through. Maybe that's just a better perspective to see God's in control. We've got to give it over to Him. We try to work things out in our lives. We try to make things happen. Sometimes God just wants us to give, give control over to Him. If He's spoken to your heart, you come forward.
Uh, I encourage you to be here tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. Brother Jason Brothers will be up here preaching for us tonight. John Mark was with us last week. Um, the other of Miss Becca's brothers will be up here preaching for us tonight, so I encourage you to be here for that, 6 o'clock. Um, <clears throat> I'll just say one last time, if, if you're here and you say, man, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if, if I am one of God's. I don't know if I'm one of his children. Please talk to somebody today. Uh, pick any one of us out, and if somebody's not comfortable sh showing you exactly how, they'll lead you to somebody that is. But uh, it's just it's the most important decision we'll ever make in our lives. It's the most important decision we ever can make, uh, and it'll change your life. It'll change everything about you. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, again, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for being so good to us. God, I thank you for your word and everything that's in it. God, it's a living, breathing book. It's still, as we said last week, these, these lessons and these passages that are in your word are so applicable to us today. And uh, God, it's because it's an alive book and you are still speaking to us through it uh, today. Pray that you would <clears throat> give us a good afternoon, bring us back here safely tonight. Pray that you be with Brother Jason as he brings a message, that you uh, just give him exactly the words to say, give him power and wisdom. <clears throat> God, we need you so much, and I pray that we would just give ourselves over to you. We would surrender, is the word that's very appropriate. Just surrender to whatever it is in your life that you're asking us to do, that you're doing in us and through us. And God, I pray that you would help us to become beautiful vessels that can be used in your service. And uh, God, I know that's what you have as a plan for us, as a design for us, but we get in the way. And I pray that you would you just help us to step out of the way and surrender to your will. I pray that you give us a good afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.